Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. Hey, this is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth Podcast. We're happy to have you join us once again. And today's guest is Ben Tuanay. He's a founder of Veritas Dental Resources. Ben, we're happy to have you with us. Bob, it's a pleasure to finally see you in, well, not in the flesh, but virtually. You know, we we had scheduled to see each other uh, two years ago and uh, things happened on my end. I wasn't able to make it, but it's glad to be with you today. Great. Now, I understand Veritas means truth. Does that mean you're going to share some truth with us today? <laughs> you know, my wife came up with a business name. She says, you know, you deal with insurance companies all the time and you're so frustrated. You complain about how they lie to you all the time. You should call your business Veritas because Veritas stands the truth. And then you can tell doctors whenever it comes to insurance, they can come to you to get the truth. And so I have to credit her because she, uh, you know, she's from Scotland. Her, her ancestry is from Scotland. So they speak Gaelic and Latin. Wow. And Veritas being a Latin word stands for truth is very fitting for the type of business that we're in. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, our topic today is, can you really negotiate fees with insurance plans? And our, I guess my first question to you today on that topic would be, why don't insurance companies do automatic increases to keep up with inflation? That's a good question, Bob. In fact, I'm working with... Um, somebody that was just hired on at a, a large DSO on the East Coast, and she's coming from the medical field. Now that she's in dentistry, doing what I do for a group practice, a very large group practice, she's blown away that what they call auto escalators, auto fee escalators, they don't exist in dentistry. <laughs> Apparently they do in medical, just because you know the cost of, of delivering quality medical um, procedures it increases on an annual basis. So the uh, same thing, the same with dentistry. But in dentistry, the insurance industry have sort of taken advantage of the dental community in the sense that they've never introduced auto escalators in dentistry, in dental insurance. Uh, and it, it was a good business model for them because the less they pay out, the more they get to retain as an insurance carrier. So they leave that activity of negotiations up to each of the dental offices themselves. And sadly, the vast majority of the dental offices still are unaware that they can actually negotiate. You know, they can argue for a better fee terms. So I wouldn't count on these auto fee escalators ever existing in dentistry because they won't. Insurance carriers have already established that model in dentistry and it's in terms of a non-auto escalator and that's not going to change. Wow. Well, let me ask you uh, this next question. Are there dental plans that do not negotiate? Yeah, that's a good question, Bob. You know, um, usually what you see in certain markets is that when most of the doctors participate with a certain plan, and we can use Delta Dental as an example, if Delta Dental has 90 to 99% of doctors participating, 
in that scenario, there's no incentive, there's no reason for Delta to want to negotiate. And the reason why is because if you threaten to terminate, they'll, they'll just say, well, we'll just send your patients to the doctor next door that's willing to take our lower fees. So for many, many years in certain communities of the United States, that high level of insurance participation among the doctors in, in those communities have really um, hurt them in the sense that these insurance carriers are now saying, you need us more than we need you. That's kind of their thought process, which isn't actually true. Um, but what you see with negotiable plans, it's the reverse. It's dental plans that struggle to maintain at least 60 to 70% dentist participation levels. Those are the insurances that ne will negotiate, like your MetLife's, your Aetna's, your Humana's and Guardian's. Some Blue Crosses in some states will negotiate when they struggle to maintain participation. Um, so when it comes to the non-negotiable plans, it is always the dental plans that have at least a 90% participation rate. And in most parts of the country, that's, that's gonna be your Deltas and the local Blue Crosses and possibly the United Concordias. But I maintain the belief that every insurance plan negotiates. And so you just have to try. You have to put in a, a good faith effort or a lot of effort to know for yourself whether those insurance carriers will actually move because you never know. You know, if somebody says Delta Dental's not negotiating, like I've been told my whole career, Delta just doesn't negotiate. And yet we have over 300 offices around the country where we have been able to get higher fees from Delta Dental. Wow, that's great. So the, yeah, so the impossible to me is, is, is an opinion. You know, I, I'm of the belief that everything's negotiable and, and you can succeed if you give it a try. Wonderful. Now for, the, for dentists who, for practice owners who are looking to transition their practices to new ownership in the next few years, What's the importance of having the right PPO structure and how does having the right PPO structure impact insurance reimbursements? Excellent question, Bob. Um, so there's this whole mindset in the dental industry right now that if as, if as a new owner, I'm not participating with insurance, I'm not going to survive. I'm not going to have enough patients to keep my practice busy or keep my practice profitable. Um, but what I'm seeing today is that that's not necessarily true for everybody. In fact, yesterday I had a coaching meeting with a client who I've been helping get off of insurance for the last five years. And they said that they had a hygienist that came in and the hygienist um, looked at the column, looked at the day sheet and, and what uh, production she was going to make that day for eight appointments. The, the very first thing that she said at the end of the day to the office manager, to Teddy, she said, you know, at my regular practice, I'm only doing a third of the production that you are doing here at your practice. Like, why is that? Like, what, what's the difference? And uh, the, the main difference was, is that my client was able to collect his full office fees for every procedure. And these patients were very happy to be there. They trust this particular dental practice, so they don't mind being seen as an, uh, at this office uh, under out-of-network terms. So, you know, when it comes to PPO structure, you know, I'm not saying that everybody needs to start off a practice as a fee-for-service office, fully out of network with every insurance plan, especially if you're looking to buy a practice. You have to look at, you have to really study and understand the area. You have to understand the dynamics for that practice. And oftentimes, the best thing that you can do during a transition, if you're buying an existing practice, is just to, at the very least, mirror the existing PPO plan structure for the seller. Just start with those plans first. Get to know the patients, have the patients get to know you, build that relationship of trust. 
but also study the, the habits of the practice, study the patients in terms of their mindset, study how your patient, your, your team members are communicating with patients in the sense of, are we teaching patients to be dependent on insurance or are we having their focus beyond quality and, and procedures, you know? Mm -hmm. And you can then start to have a good idea on how you want to shift to this uh, sort of out-of-network mentality, which is not an insurance-based mentality. It's the opposite, where patients receive procedures because they trust you, because they know the procedures are necessary. Um, they know that you do quality work, and they believe in that, you know, to where they are, they are willing to pay extra, or they're willing to at least put aside insurance and understand that insurance is an assistance towards care. It's not necessarily what I'm going to use to make my decision to move forward with treatment. That mindset is, is difficult to get into, you know, to transition in, into over time. Uh, but those are things that I recommend that you do. So if you're doing a startup, signing up with PPOs is okay. You know, uh, there's a whole argument that if you're not in network, you're not gonna get patients to come in. And that's, that's true for most uh, practices. You know, there are some practices that are out of network that do get a lot of patients to come in. And again, that's a that's a that's a training mechanism, you know, communication mechanism. But in the end, um, you know, uh, structuring your PPOs for a startup is important in an effort to reduce barriers of entry for people to come into your practice. But I would get with a professional to assess what PPOs to join in that particular area if you're doing a startup, uh, just to make sure that you're aligning yourself with PPOs that pay well and PPOs that uh, represent a significant segment of the insured market in that community. I would shy away from PPO plans, even bigger PPO plans that have fees that are going to cause you to lose money, you know? So you have to do an analysis with a professional under any circumstance of a practice purchase just to make sure that you have a, 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 at least a professional's eyes view uh, in terms of a strategy, an insurance strategy that, that will lead you to success and not cause you to write off more than is necessary. So I know that was a mouthful, Bob. <laughs> yeah, that was a long answer to a short question. <laughs> so what is the process to negotiate fees with insurance? Yeah, that is, you know, that's a, that's a loaded question, a very good loaded question. Um, negotiations with insurance is very, very specific. Um, just like dealing in any type of procedure where you have a process, you know, and if you skip steps in that process, you could potentially compromise that case. With negotiations, it all starts with understanding your insurance department. If you're an existing practice, you have to know every, almost everything that, that's important about your, your insurance department, how many patients you have that's on an insurance plan, what your write-off is, you know, in terms of the difference between the PPO fees and your office fees, um, you know, and, and, and really understanding um, where your office fees are at too, and compare. Well, we talked about that, but your office fees are actually the, the the key that controls reimbursements. And I see this all the time, where dental practices are priced out at the thirtieth percentile, and naturally the insurance reimbursements are at the tenth percentile. And then you go next door to the practice next door, and their fees are at the sixtieth or seventieth percentile, but their PPO fees are also at the 40th or 50th percentile, big improvement compared to the office next door, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what's the difference? Well, the difference is, is that when you submit a, your, your usual and customary fees, which are your fees, you submit those insurance on a fees, on an EOB, or excuse me, on a claim, naturally these insurance companies are gonna know, okay, if this is where the doctor is at with their fees, we're gonna wanna reduce that. So over time, when you have all that data, claims data submitted to insurance carriers, 
they think that they're benefiting their patients, their enrollees, by giving the patients a discount, but not necessarily telling you that you could get a higher reimbursement if you raise your fees. Now, that's that's one aspect, you know, in terms of what I call building your insurance profile. Um, but you, you want to start there. You want to do a, a very in-depth analysis on what your current PPO structure looks like, how each of the insurance carriers are working for you. Uh, and, and then from there, that'll kind of open up to additional questions on, okay, we can tell that this particular insurance plan, we have a 30 to 40% write-off. Is this plan negotiable? Now you can go down that path in terms of asking the insurance carriers the right questions. You know, Bob, there's so many aspects to negotiations that we can actually spend four days talking about just the process of negotiations alone. But I'll summarize it uh, to you this way. Step one, you build your insurance profile. Um, you know, step two, you need to understand how these insurance carriers work. Can I contract with MetLife through another umbrella network? You know, are there those leasing arrangements that are available? And I know this is becoming a popular topic in the industry. You need to know that and understand that. Step three is really understanding what leverage do you have? You know, um, if most of the other doctors are participating in the same community as you with the same insurance plans, at, at that point, you have to ask yourself, what makes me different? What allows me to negotiate or argue for a better fee schedule? Some, and sometimes you, you won't have the answers to that, you know? Um, but step four is that when you initiate that negotiating process, that always has to be initiated by the dentist herself or himself. And the reason why is because you're the one that's contracted with that insurance plan. Um, unless you're using a professional negotiator that knows the ins and outs of negotiations, the insurance carriers typically ignore front office team members. You know, they, they know that the front office is busy and they engage in all kinds of delay tactics to distract front office team members. But when they hear from you directly, it's almost a shock. Like, oh, wow, you know, this doctor is paying attention. But they also tend to treat you nicer, kinder, simply because they, they respect that doctor title. Um, you're going to be told no multiple times in terms of negotiations. But as long as you're patient with it and persistent, what you'll find with most plans is that if you just stick to the negotiations, stick to the follow-ups, be kind and courteous. At some point, they'll start negotiating with you. Um, and then summarizing the rest of it, you know, once you get offers, kind of like when you buy a car, if you're really, really good set on really negotiating, go back and forth, you know, identify your top codes uh, and, and downgrade codes uh, and negotiate those, you know, and, and make sure that you're, you're getting the highest increases on codes that mean the most to you. You do a couple rounds of those counter offers, just like you buy, you buy a house or, or, or a car. Uh, and then when you do get down to the point of accepting those fee schedules, just make sure it's official. You have an effective date and an expiration date. The, the last thing, part of the negotiating process, I, I guess this is sort of a follow through after the negotiations are complete. You wanna make sure that the insurance plan is paying on the fees that you negotiated. If the insurance plan is not paying, on the fees, and I usually audit maybe five to 10 claims a month just to make sure that the allowed amounts match your fees that you negotiated. And if they don't, you can request that that insurance carrier audit all recent claims going back to a certain date. In this case, I'd put the date that your fees became effective and call them out saying you have not paid on these negotiated fees or you've paid on some and others that you have not and request a full audit uh, and call the insurance carrier and, and ask them for correction. You don't have to send each claim back and get that, those corrected. Just a standard audit would get those things corrected for you. And we've actually just recently got a Cigna audit back for a client and, and the client got a $37,000 check. Wow. We're, we're now waiting for MetLife's audit to be complete and that's gonna be well over $100,000 
uh, that the office is going to get that's incredible. <laughs> because they have a lot more MetLife patients. But that's the final process, you know. But in terms of negotiations, it's just making sure you're getting paid what you're supposed to be getting paid. Um, but to, to answer your question, Bob, those, that's sort of a, a very bird's eye view, quick answer on that's the negotiating process. Yeah. But there's hours and hours more details behind it that right. I'm happy to well, ben, thanks meet with for, you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for sharing that 50,000 foot view with us uh, yeah. on a four day topic. That's great. Absolutely. Now, how often can a practice owner negotiate uh, with insurance, negotiate fees? Yeah, good question. I recommend um, making sure that you are looking at this every two years, um, simply because sometimes the insurance carriers will engage in a fee reduction once your current fee agreement expires. And I'm actually seeing that with Aetna, Guardian, Dental Network of America, and many states have lowered fees. And when you're proactive at looking at this, at least on, an, on uh, every two-year basis, what you'll find is opportunities to renegotiate. Um, also, there's leasing changes. You know, your MetLife may now be structured under a zealous for a better fee increase that wasn't available two years ago. You know, um, so so every two years minimum, take a look at this to see what opportunities are available. Okay. Uh, if and I get into this a lot. If a, if a practice owner sells their practice, are the negotiated fees transferred to the buyer? How does that work? Good question. So um, I wouldn't count on it without negotiating those fees. Um, in fact, um, what you often see in most states is that a buyer comes in and they buy the practice, but and they get credentialed with, with the insurances. Sometimes the seller's contract with Aetna might be through Guardian or might be through Denimax or Connection Dental or Zealous. Um, and that fee schedule that they have through MetLife may be higher than, than what the buyer is doing. The buyer may be going to MetLife directly to, to pursue a contract. And often in that situation, you're going to get a fee cut uh, lower than what the, the seller has because you went a different route for contracting. Um, but let's say MetLife is under a direct contract. That doesn't guarantee that if you submit an application to MetLife without confirming that you're getting the seller's fees, MetLife is likely going to place you on their lowest fee schedule available. So be very careful as a buyer to make sure that you take time to confirm that you are going to, at the very least, retain the seller's fees. Or if you're going to negotiate, negotiate. You know, make sure that you do that if you have time. But but to answer your question, Bob, um, yeah, be very careful as a buyer just to make sure that you um, proactively confirm retention of the seller's fees in the event where you kind of feel that the seller's fees are higher than what other offices are being, well, what, what you may know in that area regarding fees for those particular insurance plans. Got it. Now, our last question in this episode, Ben, is about uh, the potential for an increase in claims audit if you go in and, and negotiate fees. What's, what's the story on that? I hear this all the time, Bob, and, and it's interesting because many practices, they view the insurance industry like they view the IRS. You know, if I go back three years and amend returns for three years, it's true that you are opening up yourself up for a tax audit with the IRS. Well, that's not true with the insurance industry. In fact, it works as it's the opposite. When I engage in negotiating with insurance carriers, now I'm putting the insurance company on the defensive. I'm distracting them from all the other abusive aspects of your relationship with them. 
And you know, I, I wrote uh, this, this piece about how you apply art of war skills or art of war concepts in dentistry. And essentially the art of war is it's a lot of keeping your opponent guessing, keeping them backpedaling, you know, the whole idea that it's an offense, it's, a, it's, it's an aggressive offense or offensive strategy where you're on the attack, where the opponent, is, they're reacting, you know, they're spending their energy reacting. Well, negotiations is part of that. When you are proactively attacking the insurance carrier, constantly calling them out for things, they're going to react differently to you. And what you usually see is that when you employ not just negotiations, but other things, you know, aggressive claims appeals and all that, you, you tend to see the insurance carriers backing off a little bit and sometimes a lot in terms of all the other ab abuses that you see. So uh, if you do see an audit, from an insurance carrier after you've negotiated, if you can tie it to negotiations, now you can call them for discrimination. You know, what's your probable cause for engaging in this audit? Um, the audit may very well be related to how you're coding, you know, but if it is, if you can prove that the audit was because you negotiated fees at that point, you can, you can call the insurance company out, Pro have them prove to you that the audit was not because you engaged in fee negotiations. Because if it, if it was, at that point, they're going to have to audit every other dental practice that engaged in negotiations. <laughs> you know, there has to be a fairness applied there in terms of the reason for the audit or, you know, in, in the, the legal world, what was the probable cause for that particular search or this, in this case, the, that particular audit? And was it fair and was it reasonable? You know, so those things still apply when it comes to an audit. But yeah, don't worry about the audit. Uh, I've never had a client audited as a result of negotiations. Um, and, and that's simply because the insurance carriers, they tend to think that you're more proactive and looking at things more closely and, and will likely attack them if they do audit you. And they don't want to deal with the, the, the practices that are proactive in that fashion. I see. Well, Ben, thank you for, so much for joining us on this episode. Would you please share your contact information in case somebody would like to get a hold of you? Yes, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Bob. Uh, so our office number is 888-808-4513. Or you can send me an email. My email address is ben at veritasdentalresources.com. Veritas is spelled V as in Victor, E-R-I-T-A-S. Ben at veritasdentalresources.com. Thank you, Ben. And I hope uh, if you're listening today, that you'll be able to join us for our next episode with Ben on retaining PPO agreements and dropping PPOs. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Bob.